Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast, where we go deep on the sport of gravel cycling through in-depth interviews with product designers, event organizers, and athletes who are pioneering the sport. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, a lifelong cyclist who discovered gravel cycling back in 2016 and made all the mistakes you don't need to make. I approach each episode as a beginner to unlock all the knowledge you need to become a great gravel cyclist. This week on the podcast, I'm excited to welcome Adam Sklar, founder of Sklar Bicycles, to the pod. Adam shares his journey in cycling, starting out with his entry in mountain biking through his ski friends in Boulder, Colorado, to ultimately becoming a frame builder out of Bozeman, Montana. Adam's recently moved from building strictly custom bikes to doing small batch production. He's got a model called the Super Something that if you're a fan of the sport, I think you'll recognize the subtle yet beautiful arc of that top tube that he's known for. With small batch production, he's getting these bicycles into the hands of more riders who are appreciating his craftsmanship and design of this modern gravel bike. Before we jump into the pod, I need to thank this week's sponsor, AG1. I started drinking AG1, gosh, five plus years ago at this point. I was looking for something to just give me a base foundational layer of nutritional supplements that I knew I was likely missing in my current diet. I drink it each morning mixed with ice. It's a pretty simple way of getting a multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drink. With each daily serving, I'm setting myself up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that gives me my key daily nutrients and supports energy, focus, strength, and clarity. It's a micro habit that delivers macro benefits and helps just about everybody take great care of their health every day. If a comprehensive solution is what you need for your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash the gravel ride. That's drink ag1.com slash the gravel ride to check it out today. With that business behind us, let's welcome Adam to the show. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I feel like I've been admiring your bikes from afar for a while, so I'm excited to have this conversation and just learn a little bit more about the origin story of the brand. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Let's start off with uh, just learning a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up and how'd you discover cycling in the first place? Cool. Yeah, so... My name is Adam Sklar. Um, people know me for my bike brand, Sklar Bikes. Um, so yeah, I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. And I guess my entry to bikes was through my ski friends. I grew up ski racing. And then in the summers, all my ski friends were into cross-country mountain biking, like mountain bike racing, as you were if you were a kid who grew up in Boulder. Um, and so after a couple summers of them, like begging me to go mountain biking with them. I finally tried it and it um, hooked, I guess I got hooked super hard. It was sort of the thing we could do where we went outside all day and our parents wouldn't bug us um, or like ask questions about what we were doing. So we would go up in the mountains and pack our lunch and go on these big long rides. Um, and that was, so that's sort of, yeah, what my entry point into cycling was. Um, Amazing. And then did you catch the racing bug from your friends? Not then? really. They, I tried to make it, make it go. Um, I definitely 
my last year of high school was the first year of NICA in Colorado, and that was cool. And I thought I would get into racing, but I moved to Montana, and they didn't really have bike races there. Um, so I never, I never really got super racy, but I, I wanted to be for sure. And what what led you to move to Montana? Um, I came to Montana for college, so I went I went to engineering school at Montana State in Bozeman, and yeah, that's how I ended up in Bozeman. Gotcha. And in the course of your education there, did you learn to weld? A little bit, yeah. So I I built my first frame winter break of my freshman year of college. So I was um, or well built is maybe a generous word, but I. I got some tubes and stuck them together with like stuff from Home Depot. And at, <laughs> at the end of my time in Boulder, I met this guy, Walt, who does Walt Works. And uh, he built me a fork for my mountain bike because we were all into rigid 29er single speeds, you know, very Boulder. And uh, I showed it to Walt and he felt bad for me. And so he gave me a brazing lesson and taught me how to do it. So then I, I did a couple more on my own. And then... Yeah, I went back to school. I got a job in the machine shop on campus, and it just so turned out that the guy who ran that shop had built frames in the 70s and 80s, and so he really took me under his wing, and so I was working in the machine shop, helping engineering students with like their senior projects, machining stuff, and then some nights there would be no one there, so I would just machine bike tools or work on bikes, and that's sort of how I built up a lot of my, my shop and experience. Amazing. If you had to guess, how many bikes did you make while you were in school there? Oh, probably, I bet like 20. I ended up, I, mean, I think I met Tom, that guy Tom Youngst, who was the shop guy. I think I built seven when I met him. And then I probably built another 20 or something. That's sort of like the, the business started because I was spending all my money building bikes for friends. And which is, you know, it's how it goes. Like you build one and it's really fun. It's so cool. You ride it and you're like, wow, I made this. That's amazing. And then your friends see that and they want one. And I also wanted to build more bikes, but I had enough, you know, I can't, I couldn't just keep building myself bikes. So I got my friends to buy them. And then, um, yeah, I was, I was like, why do I have no money? I need to make one bank account. That's just bike stuff. And if that's zero, then I'm not making money. And that was kind of the start of learning how to do a business as well. Interesting. And what type of bikes, I think you might've mentioned this, but what type of bikes were you making for your friends? Then it was, yeah, that was still in our rigid single speed 29er days. So pretty, I think like out of the first 20, I bet 15 were those. And did you have an opportunity to kind of explore the different characteristics of the various steel tube sets available? I think that early on, yeah, I was still learning about that stuff. Um, a lot of experimentation, a lot of, there were some frames, nothing was ever wildly unrideable, but you know, you build one and you're like, okay, that's super stiff. Like that feels bad. Or, you know, that bottom bracket's way too high. Like I won't do that again. Um, so luckily my friends were very forgiving with some of those first ones. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean that the understanding of materials really happened over time. I think, you know, you're, you're starting and you're just working on the actual fabrication craft. So like it would come in phases. Like at first it was like 
I need to get good at welding and we really focus on the welding. And of course, you're always looking at materials and things like that. But I think after I had nailed down the craft a little bit more, I spent a lot of, dove into the materials a little deeper. And I guess being an engineering school also helped with that because you learn there's a lot of, in the bike world, you know, interesting rumors that get spread around about materials, but having a scientific background in that stuff kind of helps you see what parts are true about those things and what might be made up. That's super interesting. Along the way, just because I'm curious, like as you were learning the craft of frame building, was there an area of the frame that was the trickiest to kind of master? I mean, I, in my mind, I'm thinking like around the bottom bracket totally. seems to be the hardest place to get the welds correct. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, still the hardest thing with like the big tires, big tire chain ring clearance, you know, you'll see all these very creative chainstay yokes out there these days. And it's funny, bikes are, bikes are so simple, but, uh, oh, huh, recording here. Oh, can you hear me still? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah oh, you went away. Oh no. Okay. What was I saying? Oh yeah. Chainstay yokes. Yeah. Threading. And like the cool thing about that era. So this was like 2012 ish. And so the first big tire era I got to go through was like plus mountain bikes, but also gravel bikes were kind of just starting to, be more popular than I think and at that time we were like how do we fit a 40c tire in here with a road double and stuff like that so that was um yeah it was fun to be figuring out those problems and maybe figuring them out before companies like big companies had to you know they, they have to make sure that works for the run of a thousand bikes they're going to do but I was doing one at a time so we could make these cool big tired bikes before they came out commercially, which was pretty cool. Yeah. I think that's, it's been such an interesting journey the last six years or so just around that specific challenge of tire mm -hmm. clearance and how to make that work with gravel bikes. That's so interesting to hear you kind of attacking that early on through your exploration of the mountain bike first, and then later transitioning like, Oh, I already figured out how yeah. to do that for super big tires. Now I just need to downsize it a little bit for this gravel and road crank set combination. Totally. Yeah. So you graduate from college, you've made, you know, 20s, 20, 30 bikes at that point. Did you immediately kind of say, Hey, this makes sense for me to pursue as a business or was there something you were doing along the way at that time as well as you were doing this? on yeah, the Yeah. I, um, no, I, I, was pretty hesitant to do it as a job. I had talked to a lot of builders and pretty much all of them said, don't do this for a job. Um, <laughs> and I really wanted to do it. I mean, I was so, it was all I thought about. And I literally like jumped out of bed on the weekends, excited to go build bikes in my garage. And it was what I wanted to do. But I was, um, during, it must have been my junior year of college, I met a guy at a cyclocross race who owned an engineering firm. And so he ended up giving me a job and I was working there my last, so I was in school and I was working at the engineering firm and doing bikes. Um, but the firm was like sort of product design stuff. We did a lot of 
we'd call them like electromechanical devices, like kitchen devices, or I worked on some drones, um, some like 3D camera mounts for Google was a big thing I did. Um, yeah, so that was fun. I learned a lot about complex like CAD modeling and working with engineering clients, which was, it was a really cool experience. Um, and then, yeah, a year and a half or so into that. So I did that for half, I don't know, a year or something and then graduated. And then that summer I went and rode the Colorado trail with some friends and I took like, I took like three weeks off for that. And before like the phone was ringing more and more for bikes and I came back and my boss sat me down and was like, you have to choose this or choose that. And so I ended up choosing bikes and he ordered a bike for me was the first thing he did. So it was, it was a very gentle push off into the world of that. It was nice. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Silly question, but did you did you design your own bike for the Colorado Trail? And if so, what was that? Oh yeah, bike? yeah, I did it with. So it, that was actually really fun. It was like four or five of my good friends from high school who the nerd, the cross country racing nerds who got me into bikes, and we were all on bikes that I built. So um, I think two of us were on rigid. We all had gears at that point, but two rigids, three. I think I had 140 mil travel hardtail, like 11 speed. But yeah, we were all, all on Sklar's, which was pretty cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So talk about like sort of the early years of the brand and how, when you when you went full time, what year was that? I think that was 2016 that I went full time. Okay. Yeah. The so I was sort of just okay. figuring it out. I mean, I was building. Really, I was, I was super psyched to build bikes and. I had my shop space that I'm still in. That's the year I moved into the shop space. And uh, yeah, I was psyched and orders were starting to come in. So I was building custom bikes. So I'd get, you know, an order for custom mountain bike, custom gravel bike, touring bike. And then that process, by that point, I'd probably built 50 or 80-ish bikes and developed that process a little bit more. So with a customer when they come to you on average for the custom bikes it would be 60 or 80 emails per bike. So it's a pretty involved process where they tell you their needs and, you know, I'm asking, it's not just like, what are your measurements? It's like, what, where do you live? What's the riding? Like, what goals do you have with, like, do you want to do a big bike tour on it? Is it to win cyclocross races? Is it, you know, there's so many, ways and then you're sort of teasing out what the things people tell you mean because you know you can say all sorts of things like my favorite one is people say like i want a bike that rides like a big bmx bike but they've never actually ridden like bmx bikes are scary to ride you know you don't you don't want that's not what they mean (laughs) but i know what they mean when they say that but it's not unless they're an actual bmx rider i would never believe them when they say that. What is that? What does that, that translate to you that they want the bike to, to feel me, like? It's like playful, nimble, I think is a word that I would use and like lofty, like easy to yeah. bunny hop and stuff. But yeah, BMX bikes are sketchy. That makes sense. <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> um, so yeah, big, really involved process building these custom bikes that were, yeah, from the ground up all the way custom. Um, yeah, and I did that for a long time for eight, I guess the next eight years. 
just building 30. And, and were you starting to go to like the handmade bike show and things yep, like that? Yeah, I went that? to the handmade bike show. I think that was 2016 was the year I won best mountain bike. That was which um, those awards are a little silly, but that definitely put me on the map for a lot of folks. Um, and yeah, I think after that, my, my lead time went up to two years and it really didn't ever go down from there, which was an interesting journey in itself. Yeah. To get some perspective, like how long from beginning to end, obviously you've got the massive number of emails in advance of actually welding anything, but how long would it take you to manufacture a custom bike? Yeah. So most of the time is definitely in the design process and that's typically once we started it, it would be about six weeks to get everything dialed in. And that would include like build kit and paint colors and all that stuff. But once I have the design in hand, ready to go in the shop, it's usually like I can, in two days of work, I can get it done. So like 15, 20 hours. Um, yeah. And that got faster and faster over the years. But Yeah. Got it. And when did you start to see gravel bikes become more of what customers were asking for? And were you kind of prepared for that transition to designing drop bar totally. bikes? Yeah, I think that must have. So I was big on the, the mountain bike, big award thing happened. And that's my background as well as in mountain bikes. Um, and then it must have been right around then. Yeah, maybe 2016-ish, 17 in there. Um, I definitely noticed something that I liked. Well, I had built myself a couple. I was a hesitant gravel rider just because I was like, I'm a mountain biker, you know, road biking's lame, which is dumb. But, um, you know, here in Bozeman, the trails, if you, if you, there's amazing gravel riding, we're in this big valley that's like a hundred miles across one way, 30 miles across the other. And it's, it's just full of sweet gravel roads and, if you have a gravel bike, it adds four months to the riding season because there's like two months on either end that the trails are snowed in. And that, um, so I had built myself some gravel bikes and I was getting super into it. And I noticed that my friends were mountain bikers. It was a way for them to have two more months of riding. And my friends were road bikers. It was a good way to like get them to go do actually fun riding. And um, <laughs> it just seemed like such a fun way to bring all the bike people together. And then at the same time, what we were just talking about where big companies were kind of figuring it out. I think it was, it was a time like the, the coolest part about the custom stuff is that interaction, getting to hear what people are looking for. And it was really cool with gravel bikes because, you know, I got to talk to hundreds of people who were like, this is the gravel bike I can't find out there. And this is what I'm looking for. And through, you know, that six week long process with all those people. Um, I think I got some pretty cool ideas about what people are actually looking for in a gravel bike. Um, so I think that given your mountain bike background, when you first designed your own personal gravel bike, was it on the rowdier side? Yeah. Well, actually, you know, I think the first, well, actually the very first bike I built was kind of a, it was like a cyclocross. We were still calling them cyclocross bikes then. Um, yeah. But yeah, I did. I think the first, yeah, they definitely leaned mountain bike year. They had that mountain bike ego to them. Um, 
Yeah, and I did a lot of experimentation. Um, and I remember, I don't know, I probably built myself like 15 of, maybe not that many, 10, but um, ranging from, yeah, full drop bar mountain bike to big tire road bike. Um, and that's been, that's been part of the journey too, to realize what I like in there and also to help me understand what people mean, you know, hearing about their background as a cyclist, what, what they're used to. I think that's a huge part of design. People might come to you with an idea of what they want, but also there's, there's something, you know, muscle memory of riding a bike. And if you're used to riding road bikes and you hop on one of those rowdy mountain, like mountain bikey gravel bikes, most of those people aren't going to like it. And I think the other way is true too. If you're a mountain biker and you get on a really steep road road bike with big tires, it's going to feel unnatural. So designing the custom bikes, you're kind of weaving in like, what are your goals? Like, do you want to, are you a road biker who wants to get on single track? Like, how do we make it familiar enough that it feels like home, you know, feels like something you like and how do we make it capable enough that it can make you feel confident to, to do those things you want to push yourself on. But that's sort of the balance I'm always, I've been trying to do. Yeah. It's such an interesting journey. As the listener may remember, I went through my own custom bike design experience and it's easy to go in and say, I want two, two tire clearance and I want this, that, and the other thing. And then as you get the design out the other side, you start to see the compromises, the longer chain stays, the different things that they need to do, particularly when working with a metal to achieve those dimensions. And for me, it was like, I needed to be more realistic and say, okay, I need to knock it back a little bit because I don't want to entirely lose, you know, the notion of a road bike feel. I don't want to turn this into a, a mountain bike. And there was an interesting, just give and take in my own personal journey to say, okay, you know, 700 by 50 is plenty big as a tire. Let's go with that as a max and let's see how things fall and we can get a design that is still playful enough, but accommodates everything I I realistically need at this point in my custom bike. Yeah. It's so easy to want it all, but yeah, that's kind of part of the fun of these bikes. I think is like, they're they're You're not supposed to ride them on trails, but that's why they're so fun. And Mountain biking yeah, is exactly. so yeah fun. exactly, and it's so fun on a mountain bike. And like, don't make your gravel bike mountain bike. Go go mountain biking if you want to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know you've spent enough. You spent time in Marin County, so you know how rowdy the trails can be out here. So, mine is probably definitely way closer to a mountain bike than a traditional gravel bike. But I I, I am conscious of. I have a mountain bike, so I don't want to get too close to that chassis. Yeah. It needs to feel good when I'm on the roads and still be, you know, zippy enough to do all the gravel mm-hmm. bike things. Yeah, you I don't I don't think everyone needs like twelve bikes. I mean person like I have three bikes I ride, so I I like there to be some yeah. I don't wanna like be confused about if I should ride my hardtail or my gravel bike, you know. I guess sometimes you still are, but it's nice to have them be a different, different vibe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So as the, as you've kind of continued to develop the brand, it sounds like you did a ton of these 
custom bikes with a lot of analysis about what people were needing. Was there, how, how has the brand evolved at this point? I mean, I know we have a, a model we want to talk about that's being done in a smaller batch production, but kind of how did it get from custom bikes to, to where you are today? Was there a, a midpoint where you started to do like size runs of models yeah, and things like totally. that? Yeah. In, in 20, I think it was 2018, I did my first non-custom model, which is a hardtail mountain bike that I called the Sweet Spot. And so that was similar story, like with the mountain bikes. For for probably most of the time we've talked about so far, it was split between like 50-50 custom gravel bikes, custom mountain bikes. And this was in mountain bikes, sort of the era of like figuring out this whole new long front end, like long front center, steep seat tube thing, which has definitely bought into gravel bikes. And similarly to the super something, which we'll get to, I was just seeing pretty much everyone came to me because of the style of bikes I was designing. You know, they see pictures of the bikes I built and they're like, that looks like what I want, which is cool. And I was building them a fully custom bike, even though it felt like a lot of the time they were just defaulting to like, I think you should build me what you think is right. And so it felt like, I'm not going to say a waste of time, but it felt like a lot of customers could be better served by a more off the shelf product and it would save time and money for them and be a product that I believed in. So that's why the sweet spot came about. Um, and that was cool. And I built probably 50 of those over the next few years. They've been really popular, just fourth, Four sizes, three colors. Sorry, is that noise bad? Okay. Yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah, and that was that was more successful than I thought it'd be. It was a scary leap. I mean, I, I, I talk about that like when we get together at NABs and stuff with all the handmade builders. Like everyone's like, I can't believe you're doing that. Um, not custom. It's crazy. But oh, sorry, go ahead. What did that actually look like for you as a builder? Is that just a matter of? okay, now I'm going to buy 10 sets of tubes at a time. I'm going to cut them. I'm going to weld them in a batch process. How does it, how did it change kind of how you were approaching it? And I mean, part of it obviously is like a financial commitment, buying all that tubing and putting your energy towards welding something that isn't sold already. But yeah, maybe just describe like what you went through to get to that sure. point. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a whole new process to really develop a product. Whereas I guess this is something I've been thinking a lot about. Like the custom stuff, you're you're solving different issues every time. Um, so from a branding perspective, right, the product is different every time, which is not really good for building a brand. Um, so doing the, the sweet spot, which is the same every time, um, I think it gives a stronger message. It's like, here's what I believe in for a mountain bike. Um, as far as the logistics of it, they all have the same rear ends, so um, which is one of the harder things to do that chain stay part. So I would weld like five at a time of the bottom bracket to chain stay to dropouts and just kind of keep those around. And then there's a couple other things like bending and slotting and putting a dropper port in for a seat tube. So I'd keep around a seat tube. When I was when I did one, I would do four or something, and so I've got a box of them around. And someone orders one and I can like throw the chain stays in the jig, throw the C2 on. And from there, it's like four or five hours to finish the frame. So it made it 
yeah, really quick to do those. Um, yeah, and that Got was it. nice. And then my painter keeps the paint on hand, so it makes paint go faster. You know, we know all the hardware that we need to have to build it up, you know, bolts and stuff like that. So I just really streamlined everything. And that was cool. People got to get the bikes. Instead of waiting two years, it was three months, which is, I think, more reasonable. I never intended to have a two-year wait. That was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe take a moment, Adam, and just describe. There, There is something visually unique about the bikes you put out there in the world. I particularly key in on the, the sort of top sure. tube. And that seems to be like a hallmark of the brand at this point. Is that true? Or do you build bikes with straight top tubes yeah, as well? Yeah, the curvy top tube I started doing very early on. It was it was mostly because I wanted to ovalize the tubes, which they're all they're curvy, but they're, they're pretty ovalized, which, you know, I was in engineering school and we were learning about beams and stuff. And so the, you know, the wider cross section is the ultimate in uh, laterally stiff, vertically compliant, <laughs> as they say. So that was sort of what I was going for. But then I also was building frames that looked like that. And I thought, yeah, I mean, what we're talking about with the brand, like I wanted a bike that you could tell without paint was one of my bikes. Um, and so I think I've achieved that, which is nice. Uh, yeah, it's nice to have. Yeah, it's super clever. And it was a way to be consistent, even though I was building different custom bikes every time. It was still a Sklar. And I like that. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, let's let's jump on to the the latest model you're releasing, the super something, the gravel bike. I'd love to hear just about some of your design philosophy with that bike and help the listener understand you know, who's the intended rider and what are some of the things you considered when designing this okay. bike? Yeah, so the super something has been exciting. We um, the first batch went out earlier this year, and the second batch is on a boat from Taiwan right now. So that's exciting. Um, that, that project started, yeah, two years ago. It takes about a year to design that bike, but as we've been talking about, it's sort of that culmination of the hundreds of people I've talked to about what they want in a gravel bike. And then that paired with also all these friends who, especially during pandemic times when everyone was getting into gravel biking, it felt like I had all these friends, like, what bike should I buy? And I should mention that the custom bikes were, in addition to being a really long wait, were very expensive. And I kind of got bummed just telling my friends over and over, like, maybe, like, the salsa is really nice. Um, so I wanted to make a bike that in, like, good conscience, I could tell my friends who are newish to cycling or, you know, maybe an experienced mountain biker, experienced roadie, like, this is a super nice bike that you can build up to be a really cool gravel bike. Um, and yeah, I, I experimented, you know, with the rowdy, the rowdy mountain bike-ish geometry and didn't love that. I love more the experience of riding a bike, like not, you know, engaging, still an engaging ride. So it's, it, it leans a little bit more on that traditional geometry end. Um, but it definitely takes into account some elements of new school geometry. So they're designed around a little bit shorter stem. They're higher offset, um, which allows for a bit of a longer front end, but the trail is still similar to like road, a little bit more than a road bike, kind of similar um, 
Yeah, a little bit more than a road bike. And what what tube set did you end up deciding on? So it's our own tube set that we developed there. It's all really nice air hardened, like double butted chromoly. It's it's the good stuff. I mean, I know a lot of brands like slap a label on there and say it's some. I don't have a name. I don't have a cute name for it, but um, it is. It's really nice, um, and it rides super well. So I should I should come up with a name for it if anyone has an idea. <laughs> so it must have been a pretty heady decision as a custom frame builder and having so, put so much energy into your craft to choose a vendor in Taiwan to manufacture this for you. What was that process like to give you the confidence to put your name on this bike with it being produced offshore? Yeah, it was huge. Um, I have a great trade partner in Taiwan and you know, in our first meeting, he rattled off the companies he works with, and it's pretty much every reputable metal bike company that you've heard of um, does one, which is maybe an industry secret I'm not supposed to reveal. But um, <laughs> it's, yeah, they, you know, still hesitant, but we got samples. You know, that process, it took a long time. So four months in, I, I got samples, and then I, you know, we checked them out, tested them. And they're all good to go. Um, they've been really nice to work with. Yeah, the factory, those are made in Maxway, which if you're a big nerd, you've probably heard of. They made, you know, Surly, Salsa, All City, like a bunch of, you know, all the Rivendells. And, and then they make, they make so many people's bikes. So very reputable company. Got it. But yeah, it was a big Got investment, it. huge and- investment, huge change, scary for the brand. Um, yeah big decision for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you think about it as a listener, you know, to bring in 15, 20 complete bikes in one fell swoop, that's a big financial investment. But Adam, I mean, it sounds like you've developed a confidence in your consumer base for the demand for this bike to kind of take that leap. And even if you have to hang on to some frames for a few months while they sell out, you know that they're going to sell yeah. through. Yeah, it went really good. We did, I did a little pre-sale. So about a year ago, we did a pre-sale on the first batch and those sold out in like 20 minutes, 250 frames. So that was pretty exciting. Amazing. And then, yeah, the next batch works. I'm excited to have in stock. That's cool and it sounds all good, but from a business perspective, it turns out it's nice to have stuff for people to buy. So I'm excited we'll actually have some in stock this time and that'll be nice. <laughs> can you can you talk through since you know obviously in the in an audio podcast it's a little difficult to see i'll definitely be putting links to your website on the show notes but can you describe kind of the dropout and brake mount on the rear end of for the bike sure. yeah so the, the so that for the super something dropouts they use the paragon machine works rocker system so it's an adjustable dropout so you can ad- you can loosen two bolts and you can change the chainstay length, which does a few things. Um, the first is it allows you to run a bigger tire. So slammed all the way forward, it'll clear like a 700 by 40 feet, I think. But if you put them all the way to the back, you can run a 29 by 2.1 inch tire, um, which is pretty fun. That's what I run on mine and I really like it. Um, also, you can kind of tune in. I mean, it's a pretty minor difference, but you can tune in the ride quality a little bit more stable. 
all the way back, a little bit more snappy all the way forward. Um, and then, yeah, you can also swap that out. Um, if you wanted to run single speed, you can put in an insert that has no hanger, or now you can do one that's UDH if you wanted to do that, or you can switch between a post mount or a flat mount brake as well with those inserts. So it's really versatile. I, I wanted know. something that, yeah, yeah, after the really unattainable custom bikes for so long, something that was approachable. And if you have like a bike you want to swap the parts off of or do a parts spin build, like that's been fun to see people building them up in all sorts of different ways. So it's really versatile in that way. And then it looks like you might be routing some of the cables externally. Yeah, I'm a full external routing always kind of guy. So they they're they're fully <laughs> external yeah got it yeah it sounds like and you sort of express this on the website that depending on what the rider's desires are you can really configure this a lot on the you know on the spectrum of uh 29er touring bike gravel bike kind of style mountain bike style all the way to something a little bit racier on the other end of the yeah. spectrum yeah, I mean, it really was, it was designed, I mean, my my gravel bikes typically look like 40, 700 by 40C with a decent amount of like saddle to bar drop. I, I wouldn't say racy, but maybe more traditional road bike fit. And so that's sort of what I had in mind in that. But it turns out that that geometry is really similar to like the rigid 29ers that I was riding in 2008. And so they're really fun set up that way. And we've seen people do, you know, flat bars or like a swept back bar. Um, I also, it was fun. I built up a 60, so I ride a 58, but I sized up to a 60 centimeter frame. And that's the bike I just rode on the tour divide. So it was like much more stable. I had a ton of room for my frame bag. And that was so, I had so much fun on that setup too. So it's been cool to experiment with it and have, instead of, I'm so used to being able to, you know, change every millimeter, but it's been fun to be like, oh, I'll just do a different stem, like a normal person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Now I have to geek out on, do, were you on the tour divide this year? Yeah, I left at the Grand Depart um, from Banff with, with everyone. Yeah. Amazing. Like without, I feel like we could go another half hour if I oh, asked you yeah. all the questions I would want to ask about yeah, that. Yeah, it was fun. If I wrote, a, I wrote a super something on it and it did, it was, yeah, it was so fun. Wouldn't, wouldn't have taken a different bike, but tour divide was hard also. I'll say and, that. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like everybody got caught with some pretty tough weather conditions and it's pretty tough year yeah, to do it. Yeah. It was, it was a little wet. <laughs> did it um did it dramatically change end up changing like how long it you thought it was going to take you to complete no and you know i i didn't do the whole thing i should be clear about that but um i okay yeah i rode i rode home from Banff. um i thought i was going to make it to denver but yeah um i made it i made it back to bozeman um the weather we missed that. The real money part, I think, was that Great Basin section in Wyoming. And we were also, there was a section right by, yeah, where I stopped. And it was 40 degrees and raining. And my friend had a, his family has a ranch right there with good food and a creek to sit in. And 
I couldn't help myself but peel off. So, but it was beautiful. I mean, it's such <laughs> amazing riding all the way through there. It's the Canada section was so beautiful. And were you, were you, did you set your super something up with a drop bar or were you riding? I a did a bar? drop bar. Yeah. Big, the crust towel rack is that 670 millimeter yeah. bar. And it's so, I love that bike. It's, I, I love it so much that I sold my two other drop bar bikes because I just, I'm, I'm having so much fun on that bike. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you dropped that at the last minute. I'm such a, tour divide oh, really? fanboy. I've thought about it on a number of occasions to do it and just trying to carve out that right moment in my life to be able to pull totally. it off. It's a commitment, but I would recommend it if you have ever wanted to do it. It's it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about that. Awesome. Adam, any anything else you'd like the listener to know about the brand while we um, have you? What would I want them to know? Uh Bikes are fun. We make fun bikes. Check out the super something at sklarbikes.com. Production mountain bike coming next year if you do those two. Uh, send me an email if you have any questions. I'm happy to chat. Nice. I love it. Adam, thank you so much for the time. It's great to get to know you a little bit. And uh, I can't wait to see more of these bikes out there. I find them just so visually appealing and I like what you've described as the vision for how these bikes are created and conceived and what their intended uses are. So keep up all the good work. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Big thanks to Adam for joining us and telling us more about the super something and everything he's been up to at Scalar Bikes. Apologies for the sound remnants that you might've heard during this broadcast got a little bit of a bad connection during the conversation. So I apologize that the audio quality isn't up to our high standards here at the Gravel Ride Podcast. Big thanks to our friends at AG1 for sponsoring the show. Please visit www.drinkag1.com slash the gravel ride to get that one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your purchase. If you're interested in supporting the show, Ratings and reviews are hugely appreciated. Just go to your favorite podcast app and click through and hopefully offer us a five-star review as that really helps in our discoverability. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. <laughs>